Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. I don't remember ordering this shake. (laughs) I'm more of a malted guy. (laughs) Is laughter the best medicine? This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is reporter and contributor, Nikki Reitmeyer. Hey, Larry. I have a feeling this is going to be a really fun episode. Well, I hope so. It's been fun to put together. Uh, Let me start at the end, though. Last week, I was on stage with six other guys with Parkinson's doing improvisational comedy at the Granville Island Theater Sports League. Uh, It's an internationally renowned improv comedy company. Alumni include Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles from Whose Line Is It Anyway? You may have heard of them. I absolutely have heard of them. This sounds really, really cool. How did this all come about? Well, I was talking to a colleague of ours at Global TV, uh, Johnny Kerrigan, a big fan of the podcast, and I told him I was working on the Parkinson's and Comedy episode, and it turns out he's in the Rookie League at Theater Sports. So he introduced me to a fellow named Dan Dumshup. Now, Dan is on the main stage. Uh, He's one of the players, and he He's an improv instructor. You're also the husband of my neurologist. Yes, this is true. Uh, yes. So uh, we've conspired uh, to put together sort of a little workshop here called Improv for Parkinson's. I've got the Parkinson's, you've got the improv. So it's a good combination, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Dan and I decided to do a beta test to see if, A, we could get people with Parkinson's interested in improv, and B, could he teach us to be funny, and C, would it help any of our symptoms? So we agreed on three two-hour workshops, and then that was going to be followed by a live performance. And this is all based, uh, Nikki, on a study around Parkinson's and comedy and improv at Northwestern University, along with Second City in Chicago, which is a very famous improv Mm -hmm, institute. So that was back in 2017. That study was the first of its kind around improvisational humorous therapy for Parkinson's disease. And the program had a high rate of satisfaction and perceived benefits. So my wife and I asked Dan's other half, my neurologist, Dr. Jonathan Squires, about the Northwestern results. So my biggest understanding was the the things that it really helped her with quality of life measures for people. And what we hope, so improv as as an art and the improv for Parkinson's is focused less on being funny and more on learning techniques that can be used to apply to the disease. So being in the moment, rolling with the punches sort of thing, tools for coping. Active listening, communication skills, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even if you have more of a frozen face, figuring out how to to be more animated in in the way you communicate with others. Yep, that's right. All all those things I think will be quite plausible outcomes. And I think that we'll find some surprises along the way too. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So when you have Parkinson's, are you allowed to laugh? Strongly encouraged. Strongly encouraged. And it's a community, in my experience, that loves to laugh. 
Absolutely. Man, that's really interesting stuff. So whether or not it actually improved motor or non-motor functions was really secondary to quality of life, which we could all use. What were the workshops like? Well, Dan and Johnny taught us, you know, first, like, vocal warm-ups. Okay, I'm going to try to remember some of these. This is good. (laughs) Yeah, we sound great, don't we? Yes, very good. And then we we learn to be present in the moment through gameplay. So in this next example, we stand in a circle, uh, and one person, palms together, extends his hands towards somebody to his right, his left, or across the circle. Okay, I can picture this. And so you either zip, zop, or zap energy to somebody else. So if we were playing, Nikki, I'd go zop. And I'd go zap to someone else? Yep. Okay. Or zip to the left, zap to the the right. right. Okay. Zip. 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 Zap. Zip. 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 So what happens is if you look away or your mind wanders and you're not in the present moment, the energy fades because you've lost your zip, zap, zap. Ah, so a lot of this is about being present. Yeah, following the, the following the energy because you never know when it's going to come at you, and then you right. got to figure out okay, what do, how do I accept it, and then how do I give it to somebody else? And okay, okay, okay. You realize you haven't said anything yet, right? Yeah, yeah. We're just zipping and zapping okay, and blah. Okay. This the umming and the and the zapping. Okay. Yep. And and there's more okay. because before speaking, you need to create. Uh, you know, something with other people. And among the principles of improv is yes and, which is building on someone's idea, and your goal is to set up everyone on stage to get a laugh. It's not about you, it's about them. Ah, okay. So this is an exercise where we had to create the sounds of a nature trail with just the sounds we could create with our voices. Hey, Tim. Tim. Hey, how's it going? Good. Saw some uh, eagles over on the other side. Eagles? So there's no CD playing in the background that has these nature sounds. This is you guys on stage? This is just like four of us making those sounds. It actually sounds really convincing. Not bad, right? It's good. For, it's actually that was really like week good. One. That was not bad. This is very good. You guys could be a, I don't know, roaming nature trail. We could be. That's your right, Nikki. I, I, I think you're onto <laughs> something there. So how did you get onto this idea of comedy and Parkinson's anyways? Well, funny story. Uh, my mother-in-law sent me a link to an article of a guy with Parkinson's doing stand-up in North Carolina. She said, you know, you should get him on the podcast. <laughs> good mom impersonation. Thank you. Sounds just like her. Uh, so I looked him up, and his name is Glenn Lurie. He was diagnosed on September 23rd, 2013, while living in the Bay Area of California. How long did it take after your diagnosis for you to find humor in it? Um, probably the second year of my illness, I started to say you can't be, have pity for yourself because that's going to break you down emotionally and physically. So I started to talk about um, let's shake on it. And then, you know, because of the hand tremors, I found that to be a funny way to say something to somebody. I've got Parkinson's, let's shake on it. And um, I would start to just tell myself little jokes. So uh, so what drew you to stand-up? I've always been a fan of comedy. Um, 
from Jonathan Winters when I was a young kid watching him on the oh, Wacky yeah. World of Jonathan Winters to Robin Williams mm-hmm. to um, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Alan Sherman. So, Nikki, in 2017, Glenn moved cross-country and started to do stand-up. When I go out and do my comedy, I always tell the crowd um, that I'm transparent, and the reason I'm sitting down is, is because I'm living with Parkinson's. I don't say I have Parkinson's disease. I'm just living with an illness. And um, the crowd changes its tone right away from talking into paying attention to what I have to say. And I find using the Parkinson's jokes in my routine helps me and it helps the crowd not think that I'm I'm a leper or anything that they're going to catch it by talking to me or being near me. I've actually had people come up to me after the shows who say they have a grandparent or an uncle or a sibling who has Parkinson's and they're going to share my story with them because they think it's great that I'm not afraid to go up on stage and talk about it. What do you get out of it? It keeps me from atrophying mentally and emotionally. Um, It's great to hear people laugh and they're not laughing at me, they're laughing with me. And that um, comic comedy is dark for the most part, but I'm happy that I'm bringing a light to the end of the tunnel with my humor. It's really interesting that he talks about how discussing his Parkinson's on stage really grabs people's attention. Well, it is you know not what you expect when you go yeah, for certainly. you know you know two drink minimum, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Glenn's got a great attitude. He sure does. Yeah. yeah. I see him on Facebook and Twitter, and he's getting gigs left and right. Good evening, everyone. I'm Glenn Lurie. That's Glenn with two N's, and Lurie spelled 15 different ways. I'll leave that up to you. And um, I'm transparent, so I'm living with Parkinson's. And one of the things I wanted to do was do stand up so that myself it can be done. So um, Parkinson's doesn't get me down. I have a great support group. I love the fact that we have a secret handshake. (laughs) I like Glenn's stuff. He's funny, eh? Yeah, Glenn's great. And he gets a little edgy at times, but he he still plays it clean, you know. Uh, And and I have to believe remembering a stand-up routine like he does and performing it live for an audience is a bit challenging for anybody because you're nervous. Especially for people with PD. Right. Yeah, unbelievable. I have to think more sometimes when I'm in conversation and something's said because the neurons in my brain aren't firing as fast as they used to, and the words don't come out as quick as they once did. But when the funny thing is, is when I'm on stage, I can rapid fire and be clear and concise in what I have to say. It's sometimes on the phone or if I'm in a restaurant or I'm just with friends that I got to really think what it is I want to project. And that's, that's the frustrating part is is that you went go from somebody who's being clean and concise in their vocabulary to now have to repeat themselves or clarify their statement. Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, You know, having, Spent, you know, the better part of the last 30 years on the radio, uh, I find it harder and harder to uh, to do what I do as cleanly and concisely and with clear thinking as I used to be able to do. And it's, 
you know, it's it's frustrating. Um, you know, I, 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 I was in a live interview yesterday, and I just I couldn't get the words out. Like, for like 10 seconds, it was embarrassing. But I know that I get brain fades. I warn the audience when I'm doing my stand-up that I might have a brain fade and forget where I'm at in joke-telling. So just bear with me because it's just it's all part of the Parkinson. When that happens to you, what does that feel like? I've you get frustrated that you can't believe that with all the rehearsal and the times you've told the jokes over and over again, you forgot it. You forget what your routine is, and um, that's why a comic told me never write your jokes down and go in the order you write them because something's going to happen and you're going to forget and you're then going to have to make sure you know what the next joke is. So, Nikki, once I started searching for people with Parkinson's uh, and who did stand-up, I realized Glenn wasn't alone. You know, let's be honest. I'm a woman of a certain age. I had a career break. I've got kids. My job prospects are pretty fucked already, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It's comedy or bust, really. Um, I go to the gym a lot. No punchline. I just have to go to the gym. You know, if I don't go to the gym, I run the risk of twitching in a corner in a pool of my own drool, which, quite frankly, isn't very motivating. Um, I bumped into a friend the other day as I came out, and she went, wow, you're really motivated. How do you keep going? I was like, it's easy. I've got this disease. That's Kitty Fenton, uh, Nikki. We heard about her diagnosis, her four kids, and her husband, Craig, in last week's extra dosage episode. Mm-hmm. She's 45, diagnosed three and a half years ago. The first questions I asked the doctor when I found out I had it was, um, he's talking away, and I'm, my world's kind of going spinning around my head. And I said, excuse me, uh, is, is this going to kill me? And he said, no. I went, okay. I said, am I going to lose my mind? He says, no. I went, Okay. You, you mentioned medication. Can I still drink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And my, my husband was like, only you could be more concerned about having a glass of wine. <laughs> oh, no. I think everybody asks that. They're like, if I got to do something. <laughs> I, I, did, I did get rather drunk that night, yeah. Nikki, as you can tell from her accent, she's originally from the north of England. Now she lives in New Zealand. She was a stay-at-home mom planning to return to work when she was then diagnosed with Parkinson's. Comedy seemed like as good of option as any. Well, I got, I got Parkinson's, and one of the things that helps me cope with it was um, I actually complained that I never saw any young people, you know, and, and um, there was a new editor of the magazine, uh, of our local Parkinsonian magazine, and, I, and I, I rang him up and I said, where are all the young people? All, all I see is old people and advertisements for walkers and, you know, people are dying and it's all really, really depressing and I want to see some positive stories. So he said, can I do one on you? And I went, um, okay. Um, and then they asked me to speak at a conference, um, just a local one. And um, that was really quite amazing. And, and um a few people came up to me afterwards and said how much it had helped them. So I started talking about living with Parkinson's, but people kept laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and this chap eventually said, you should try comedy. And I said, no, no, you, you really should. And I was like, nope. And then I tried it and I loved it. And I've been told I'm pretty good. So I'm, I'm, I'm keeping on and I'm keeping doing it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. 
You know, she sounds like she's really owning this. She has a new lease on life. Oh, yeah. Other people have told her the exact same thing. Really? It sounds really insane, but they went, oh, actually, in some ways, getting Parkinson's has been really good for you because you've just totally taken your life off in another direction. Yeah. And part of me was like, bah. And the other part of me thought, actually, they're dead right because it made me do that long, hard look at your life thing. You know, this is really inspiring stuff. I can see now why you wanted to do something around comedy. At Improv for Parkinson's in Vancouver, how about the other improv performers in your troupe? You know, what did they think of the workshops? Well, it seemed like everybody had a great time. You know, Rebecca and I uh, sat down with a few of them after the second workshop. Uh, Here she is with Creston Froats. So how are you feeling about taking this improv class? I'm feeling better about it now. I was really nervous um, um, when I signed up. Uh, I was both excited and nervous, but uh, more nervous, I think. Why nervous? Um, I think because I'm not generally good in these type of environments. Um, I'm more of an introvert, not an extrovert, I guess. And uh, so it's it's hard for me to... I get nervous, so I, I just... And that's some, one of the things I hope this is going to help me with. So there's the uh, Parkinson side where um, the cognitive issues, being able to communicate properly, losing your train of thought, things like that, that I'm hoping improv can help improve potentially, but, but also just the shyness aspect as well. So, How is it affecting your life outside of the class? So far... Um, it's a positive impact. Um, he gave us some exercises to do during the week. Uh, one of them was to be more in tune to listening to somebody or in the moment. And I find that's a really good exercise because I'm not generally that good at doing that. Um, and the other one was just conversationally, being able to extend conversations, saying end and that sort of thing. So I'm hoping he'll give us more tools like that that will help in day-to-day stuff so yeah. Yeah. how do you feel about the performance coming up oh super nervous i yeah i'm worried that i'm going to freeze up and not be able to just to, to, to say anything but yeah i don't think this crew will let you yeah i don't think they're, so yeah they'll help you out yeah, yeah that's what i'm hoping i, I feel that that camaraderie i guess in the group and everybody's helping each other so that's that's right. great yeah great. And the next guy uh, I'm going to introduce you to is Norm Blaine. Norm's 71 years old, diagnosed three and a half years ago with a wicked arm tremor. Well, when you have Parkinson's, you're either thinking about the past or worrying about the future. And being in the moment is maybe more rare or less frequent than somebody that's healthy. So can you see some of the skills that you're learning here helping you as you go through your everyday life? Oh, absolutely. In fact, this week was an eye-opener for me. This is an opportunity for me just to let go and go in a whole new direction. What do you think? You know, I find a lot of people uh, are turning to comedy after their diagnosis with Parkinson's. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, one thing about having Parkinson's, it takes spreading salt on your donor a lot easier with the tremor. <laughs> and it takes handshaking to a whole new level. Yeah. So I think you have to really look at the illness with a sense of humor because it's not going to kill you 
but it's going to make life difficult, so you've got to wear, work up to it. Well, and if, if we're making fun of it, it just sort of disarms it and makes it okay for other people to be accepting of it. Absolutely. If people look at your tremor, they wonder what the problem is, you tell a couple of jokes, it's off the table, you don't have to deal with it anymore. And I found that to be a really good technique, actually. So at one point, uh, Norm and I team up in rehearsals, and we had to create a story, but we had to alternate every other word. Okay, go ahead. Never. Yes. What? Happened? Last night. I was chased by a big, ugly bear. It almost ate me. You know, how did you find stuff like this, those kinds of exercises, transferring over to your everyday life? Because that seems to be a big theme here that people are talking about. Well, so I know, and I think a lot of people do, we, we in our minds, we have an idea of how life is going to unfold mm. or how a day is going to unfold. Yeah. And when you're creating a story one word at a time, you in your mind think you know where you want the story to go, but you have to listen to where the other person is taking it and, and sort of follow, you have to sort of create together. Oh, and, and so okay. like here in the office, if if I get thrown a curveball, rather than being upset that it's not the way I anticipated it going, I just sort of accept what's given to me and then add to it. Oh, okay. I really see how these skills now transfer to everyday life. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really yeah, cool. It is. Uh, Phil Badger Smith is uh, another stand-up that I want to introduce you to. He is making the comedy rounds in, in Birmingham, England. doesn't matter whether it's dyskinesia or bradykinesia. All I know is it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> I went to buy a ladder yesterday. I didn't realize how expensive they are, though. So I'm having to buy one in installments, one <laughs> step at a time. Yeah, people say to me, so Phil, you know, with the Parkinson's, must be terrible for you. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I say, well, an urgent need to pee and a strong desire not to wet the bed. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> Shall I leave you with one more? Yes. Okay. Stiff muscles, apathy, depression, anxiety, shuffly feet, cramps, mental blocks, slurred speech. These are all terrible baby names. <laughs> yeah, not good That's baby funny. names, not <laughs> yeah. at all. Smith lives with his partner and four-year-old son. Walk me on stage that first time. So I get up on stage and I say, hi, I'm Phil, I'm 38, and I've got Parkinson's disease. Hooray! <laughs> Bit of a shaky start. <laughs> nice. And you've got, you know, you've got a, st- a strong-ish gag, I hope, to, to start off with. You know? And you say, oh, I know what you're thinking. You can't have Parkinson's. You're so young. You're so handsome. Can I have your number? <laughs> How long did it take before you laughed about it? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, a long time. A long time. Um yeah, I, I, I started doing stand-up after all, uh, about a year. It, it was, that was a long year, and it's still a long process. I felt very angry and very depressed. I felt as if my life was over. Um, yeah, it, it, I got to a very dark place. Tell me more about that. 
Sure. Um, so I just, I hadn't had an easy time up to that point. Um, I'd had years of uh, depression and anxiety um, and it was like, gosh, this is the straw that could break the camel's back, you know? And, and he gets a lot of symptom relief from doing comedy, Nikki. Apart from anything else, helps with practicing speech um, and confidence and helps to battle depression and, and anxiety um, because you're performing. And if people are laughing at your jokes, it gives you a real buzz. Sure. Um, and it gives you a dopamine hit, and we all love that, don't we? <laughs> you can always use that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was interesting to me, Nikki. Not only did Phil perceive symptom relief, there was also a psychological shift. Mm. When he's on stage, he really feels like the tables are turned on the disease. It's important for me to 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 laugh about Parkinson's because then I'm owning it. You know, it dominates so much of my life, but this is an opportunity for me to say, I'm in charge, mate. I'm the, I'm the boss in this situation, and I'm going to show you that I'm laughing at you, you know? Well, and it's funny. I mean, like, my everyday life, you know, I got a nine-year-old son and my wife, and, you know, there's days where I can't open a pickle jar and my nine-year-old has to open it for me. I mean, it's just... <laughs> on now or I drop something I drop a glass or I cook dinner and for, you know it's over seasoned or under seasoned and I've ruined the meal <laughs> you, know, like you just gotta laugh about that stuff right? You, you have to you really do and I'm, I'm good friends on social media with Matt Eagles who I know you've oh, yeah. spoken to recently um, and you know I've submitted stuff for his uh, Parky Life Initiative which I, I think is just fantastic because you've got to laugh at it Otherwise, it will consume you, you know? That's what I said to people. I've got to go out there and do some stand-up about Parkinson's to make it, to make fun of it. Um, so it doesn't consume you so that you, as I say, you own it and you can make good jokes about it. And you can say to people, this is Parkinson's. So in a way, you're, you're sharing Parkinson's with people in a non-worthy, non-preachy way to say this is what it's like you know it's not just an old man's disease where we all shake you know you, you think about how parkinson's um you know you have the weak bladder so mm. really parkinson's is taking the piss out of you and now you're taking the piss out of parkinson's <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it goes both ways right well, <laughs> Absolutely. You can use um, that, by the way. You can have that one. Thank you. Oh, I've just written that down while I haven't written it down. It'll take me a long time to write that down, but it's a mental <laughs> note of me. <laughs> you know, it sounds really empowering to be able to make jokes about Parkinson's, and certainly there seems to be no shortage of material. Oh, yeah. The, the, trust me. <laughs> I've heard them all, I think. But they, they, they keep on coming. And uh, I, but it is empowering it, just to even stand up there in, in the spotlight with a microphone and, and no net and just go, I, I think I'm funny. Do you do you think I'm funny? <laughs> it's cool though too because from what I understand, none of these people were doing stand up before their diagnosis. No, amazingly not. No, Parkinson's gives you this sense of ah, screw it. What do I got to lose? <laughs> uh, it's it's a little bit different for Paul Mayhew Archer. He he's been on several episodes of the podcast uh, in this season. Uh, episode one, still me, but not the same. Episode two, slave to a pill. And the extra dosage about Robin Williams. He was diagnosed in 2011 at the age of 58. I'd been diagnosed by a friend 
who said, um, I don't want to worry you, Paul, but I think you might have Parkinson's. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he'd have said if he had wanted to worry me, right. but he did <laughs> worry me. And uh, so I sort of had a thought that I might have it because of, you know, he, he said that I had similar symptoms to his dad who had Parkinson's. And what were those symptoms? The symptoms were that my handwriting had got very tiny and would sort of get tinier and tinier as I wrote. And yeah. My arms didn't swing very naturally. It was, and so I had a, a hand sort of, sort of just hanging in front of me. And so that was one thing. I thought it might well be Parkinson's. And then there were a few months before I got to see a neurologist. And during that time, another friend had a bit of trouble with his arm. And he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh. And he died shortly afterwards. Wow. So I remember thinking when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I was thinking, phew, well, that's a bit of a let off. <laughs> yeah, right. How long and, did it take you to go from, phew, uh, not going to die, to, I think there's some jokes here? Um, pretty instantly. I remember on the first, at that first meeting, um, my wife, as soon as I, he said it's Parkinson's, she said, how can you tell? And he had to, you know, he'd been able to tell pretty instantly. And he mentioned my arm not swinging, and then he said my wobbly walk. And he said, also, you seem, um, uh, he said, your facial muscles are somewhat frozen. For, for instance, you seem to be finding it quite hard to smile. And I said, well, that could be because you've told me I've got Parkinson's. <laughs> and from that moment, I think I was sort of thinking of the funny side of of it. And I and I suppose it's partly to do with the fact that for all my life, pretty well, I've been trying to write comedy and find jokes and things. So it seemed to come completely naturally to me. On the other hand, I think it was also, it's a way of deflecting the thing, you know. Uh, I sort of... Um, I, I get my own back on it, and I treat it as a joke, and it may be a form of denial. It's certainly a form of coping, and it's my way of coping, and it, it seems to do pretty well. Now, Paul's been known as a screenwriter and producer for the BBC for shows like Vicar of Dibley, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, Mrs. Brown's Boys, and others. But Parkinson's changed that. This is a really weird thing is that it's given me a completely new lease of life, which is it's very odd because, yes, before Parkinson's, I was a, behind the scenes, as it were, I was a producer and script editor and writer. And since Parkinson's, I've sort of come out front, as it were. I, I made a documentary a few years ago called Parkinson's, The Funny Side, um, and... Uh, Amazingly, I won an award as best documentary presenter of the year, <laughs> uh, which was absolutely astonishing to me because I was up against people like David Attenborough and Louis Theroux. So I don't know what went went very peculiar in the judging panel. All right, Nikki. So in 2018, Paul wrote and performed a one-man show at the Edinburgh Fringe. This past summer, he went on tour, 28 dates up and down the country. And strangely, with all the success he's had writing comedy in his career, it wasn't until he wrote for these shows about his Parkinson's that he really found his swagger. I read somewhere where you said, Parkinson's has changed my life for the better. It has given me something yeah. to say about the importance of comedy and laughter, and weirdly, it has given me the confidence to say it. What about Parkinson's gives you confidence? I don't know. I suppose it, part of me thinks, well, it gave me a subject, 
because I'd, I'd, um, I've always sort of, I've loved to make people laugh and do jokes, but I've never really had a subject that I felt passionately, strongly about, or that I felt personally connected with. So I, um, so it gave me my subject. It also, I suppose if you've been struck with Parkinson's, you know, what's the worst that can happen if a few jokes don't go well? <laughs> right. And certainly, you know, pe- because people talk about, I don't know how you stand up there and I don't know how you you remember everything. And I'm thinking, well, if I forget it, I've got a fantastic excuse. <laughs> and if it all goes wrong, um, it's not the end of the world. And it's because it's just a joke right. as opposed to life and death. So I think that's why it's given me confidence also that the very fact that um uh from the moment i started doing the show and people seem to really like it so i asked him as a screenwriter and editor by trade what skill is most useful in stand-up life doesn't happen often as jokes but if you can structure it in such a way that you create a joke out of it uh, for example uh, one of the things i i talk about in my show because I love the people with Parkinson's they're fantastic people and I talk about my friend Sally who's the chair of our local group and uh, the first time I met her I said uh, when did you first notice the tremor because she's got quite a strong tremor in her arm and I said when did you first notice the tremor and she said you know um, I think the first time I really noticed it was when I was trying to put a condom on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just couldn't manage it at all. And the more I, you know, tried and failed, the more nervous I got. And that meant the tremor was worse. And, and people were watching. And that was very embarrassing. And honestly, if a girl hadn't come up and helped me, I really do not know what I'd have done. <laughs> and then she saw my gobsmacked expression. She said, sorry, I forgot to say I used to teach sex education. Oh. Now, the thing was, when she told me that story first... She said, well, the first time I I noticed it really was when I was trying to put a condom on because I, I used to teach sex education. Right. But I think it's a funnier story if you delay the revelation. <laughs> it's just a way of when do you reveal the information and how do you turn a story into a bit of a comic surprise as well. It's interesting, you know, when you go on stage and you come from the perspective of a person with Parkinson's disease, it sounds like it really gives you a new perspective on writing jokes. Well, it, it gives you a personal muse. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes the things that you're closest to are the things that you can own. Right, like when comedians make jokes about their kids and stuff like that. Right, or, or like if you have had cancer, it's easier to make right. jokes about cancer. Or yeah. if, if you've been a parent, you can make jokes about parenting. But like if you've not had that experience, it's really hard to get inside and, and, and be accepted because they're like, hey. you Wait like, a minute, or, you can't make that joke? Or like yeah. the Jewish jokes. I mean, if you're not Jewish, making you a Jewish certainly joke can't. Is, you can't do that. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> I guess that makes sense then. You don't see a lot of comedians who don't have Parkinson's successfully making jokes about Parkinson's. No, it's a limited group. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You got a niche market here. You should really take advantage of this. Yeah. And for Paul, his mission is to talk about serious illness less seriously. So that, that urge to laugh at disease is tied to his mom. When Mm. he was a teen, she was dying of cancer. We never talked about it. And I'm not 
sure whether she even knew what she'd got. Um, mm. And I could then never say goodbye to her because I never knew if she knew she was dying. It was this sort of unspoken thing. And ever since then, I've been determined um, to try and find the funny side of right. stuff. Right, yeah, for sure. And to try and keep cheerful, really. And it seems to strike a chord with audiences wherever I go that they... Certainly the people, there are quite a lot of people with Parkinson's and people with other illnesses, and they are just really keen to laugh at this ridiculous thing that they've got. Isn't it so interesting how sometimes the darkest experiences in life can inspire comedy further down the road? Right. And, and, and help you, and the comedy can help you deal with those yeah. dark moments. Like it really allows you to digest them in a, in a more healthy way. Yeah. And now dealing with, you know, all those ranges of emotion, you know, Larry, I know that your energy ebbs and flows through each day. Performing must be draining. I asked Paul about that. People say, you know, I must be exhausted and uh, knackered at the end of, you know, this show because it's about nearly two hours, I suppose. And I'm not at all. I, I'm absolutely energized by it. I, I've sort of worked, you know, normally my pills last about four hours, mm. four and a half. But if I've, I'm doing the show, they'll last six and a half hours. Wow. Well, so it's, well, it's, it's like it's an just, extra dopamine rush. Yes, it is. <laughs> Really? Oh, it is. Yes. So, um, I mean, they say laughter is the best medicine. And, you know, it's rubbish because in my case, Cinemet is the best (laughs) medicine. But laughter is certainly pretty high up on the list. (laughs) Yeah. So before before I said so long to Paul, I asked him for tips before my big stage performance with Improv for Parkinson's. Um, Just to have confidence. The, thi- the, the wonderful thing is not many people are doing comedy about Parkinson's. <laughs> it is a limited group, yes. It is a limited group. And um, and so, you know, that's a huge advantage. And also, it does mean that you have experiences that most people don't. So you're doing quite original material. And just have confidence in it and really enjoy it. I think that's the thing that I would say. Um, and you seem to have sort of that spirit about you anyway, so I'll I'll just go for it. Okay, I'm so excited for this. Yes, go for it. It is time for the big improv for Parkinson's performance. I'm dying to hear how this went. So, so okay, imagine this. It's okay. Sunday evening, 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Dan and Johnny, our teachers, are warming us up. Oh. You know, <laughs> we're going through our different games. So we're going to do five different improv games. Uh, 5.30 comes. We're called on stage at Vancouver Theater Sports. We emerge from behind the curtain. Dan addresses the crowd. It is Sunday, late afternoon. Yes. We made your way to Granville Island. Join us for the showcase. How you feeling? You hear that sniff? Oh yeah, that's my bloody nose. 
And as the audio fades behind us, that's Larry exiting stage left. Oh, no. I race down the hall to the bathroom. I've got a bloody nose. So, So here's what I do. I look at myself in the mirror, and I talk to myself. And I got a bloody nose. Oh, good Lord. My big performance. And here I am with a bloody nose. What am I going to do? Well, they're all out there. We got the big crowd and I uh, sat down and my nose started bleeding before we even got introduced. So, uh, that's not good. So disappointed. So I shove a tissue up my nostril and I had a handy, stylish nose clip. And I said to myself, the show must go on. Uh, so I slipped back on stage at the end of the first game. All right, we've got uh, another addition to our, our gang. Introduce yourself and tell us a fun fact, perhaps. Perhaps related to this. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford, and I get bloody noses. Uh, so uh, that's what just happened. So hopefully we can control this. But I don't, I'm not embarrassed because this is funny, right? <laughs> Well, I guess it just proves that truly anything can happen in improv. It's like the universe coming down and saying, Larry, this is what you're supposed to learn. So what kind of games did you do? Well, in one scene, Norm and I were a home shopping network announcer selling Cybertruck, a suggestion from the audience. And welcome to this hour. It's the Cybertruck hour of the home shopping network. We're going to be showing you all the explicit details of the Cybertruck. It's very exciting. Now, you may not have heard of the Cybertruck before, but trust me, this is a vehicle you have got to own. Yes, that's right. You have got to own the Cybertruck because the Cybertruck only comes in 10 colors. That's right, and they're all black. <laughs> That's right, they're all black, but they're shades of black, so they look a little bit different. They also come in 14 different shapes. Shapes? I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, that's right. 14 different shapes, and if you order now, we'll include the brakes. Yeah, well, they have fenders that are round, and they have windshields that are square. It's a whole new design concept. That, yes, that's right. And the Cybertruck automatically charges all of your home devices. So if you have a cell phone, if you've got a computer, it's automatically charged through the Cybertruck. And that's right, though it does make it difficult to drive a vehicle because you can't get into the damn thing. Yes, that's right. You do have to climb through the roof. But climbing through the roof has its advantages. I can't think of any off. Yes, that's right. For those of you who are into gymnastics, it's a great way to warm up in the morning. Pardon? If you're into gymnastics, it's a great way to warm up in the morning. Oh, yeah, to climb through true. the roof. And your vehicle doesn't start itself, but it doesn't stop itself when you run out of gas. It, yes, that's right. And not only does it take gas, it takes uh, electricity, and you can plug it into a lighter. That's shocking. Yes, that's right. You will want to be careful because you will get shocked if you use this too frequently. It is a cyber truck. Now, let's talk about price price for a minute. Oh, yes, that's right. Go ahead and talk about the price. Uh, it's cheap. Yes, that's right, but very expensive. It's $14,000 a day. It comes to words signing off on this show. So if you order right now for the Cybertruck, $14,000 a day. Also, we will include a free duster. That's right, and we'll, we'll provide a jack so you can jack it up when it gets flat tires. 1-800-888-8888. Call now. 
Really, really good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and you know what was interesting is through it all, we did five games. We were on stage for a half hour. I don't think there was one reference to Parkinson's. Oh, interesting. So that didn't, you know, this is important. So that didn't become a crutch in no, the humor. No. So it started like the first workshop. We're all cracking Parkinson's jokes, right? And then by the performance, we're just about the comedy. Oh, that's really interesting and really, really cool as well. Yeah. Now, your family was in the audience too, right? Yeah, Henry and Beck were, were there. Hey, oh. Can you believe that? As soon as I got on stage. I know. Here we go. It's a surprise. Sorry. I'd warned them that it might happen. Yeah. Well, you never like, know. I was going to say just. Well, I know, but it took me a minute to get it correct so it wouldn't like lead through the right. issue. Right. So, do you think that you're going to keep doing it? Well, yes, yes, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was fun. It was invigorating. We have plans to get back on the improv saddle uh, in the new year. And in fact, I'm I'm shedding a few of my normal support groups in favor of this being one of my support groups. Wow! So this has been so beneficial to you that it's sort of uh, reached a new level of importance in your structure of of care and treatment. Well, yeah, because have you ever been to a support group? No, I haven't. Okay, so you walk into a room and there's a bunch of people with the same illness you have. Uh It's five to ten. And you go around the room and you go, yeah, well, I'm on these meds and now I can't figure out why my left hip hurts and my nose is running. And like everybody just sort of lists their symptoms and ailments and they're kind of whiny and complaining and yeah. we're trying to help each other, but it's the, the, there's not a lot of... Improv sounds way more fun. Improv is it so sounds much way more, more fun. fun. <laughs> it's, 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 it's community, it's bonding, you're, 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 you're actually learning to cope with your symptoms in a positive way. And so so for me, it really feels like support. And do you think that this has inspired others as well? For sure. Uh, The University of British Columbia's Brain Wellness Program, which launched earlier this fall in Vancouver, which isn't Parkinson's specific, but for all brain disease. Right now they're doing music and dance therapy, art, yoga, and they're looking to register uh, people now for a 12-week improv workshop starting in the new year. Uh, which is based on our beta program. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, the hope is that we'll begin to make measurements and see improvements of motor and non-motor symptoms, general lifestyle or disease progression that can be attributed to performing improv. And we'll keep you posted on our improv efforts, and you can check out the Brain Wellness Program at bcbrainwellness.ca. Each episode, Larry sits down with his wife, Rebecca, to check in and talk about the episode. All right, so you were at the second workshop and then at the final performance. Did you see any differences? Very much so. In, in an impressive way, it was the first thing I thought of in the first game that you guys played. The level of relaxation and openness, just comfort level, especially in front of a crowd, it was the first time you were doing it in front of an audience. The, the folks who were the most trepidatious in the beginning, including Creston, who I who I interviewed, who was nervous about the performance, was very comfortable. And the folks who seemed to be kind of a little slower to, to pick up on the games and stuff in the in the second workshop, everybody 
did great. Everybody was much more in an even setting, I suppose, for comfort level and speed and quality and the ability to kind of access that right brain quickly and come up with a joke or say something really honest. And it was it was so much fun to watch because I, maybe even more for me because I saw that transformation. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, everybody got a big laugh at some point. Yes, and then you could see everybody, even though they didn't break character, you could just kind of see them brighten up a little bit and get and get more comfortable. It was like, oh, this is so much fun. I guess I didn't realize. And also thinking about, as talked about in the episode, the dopamine release that that comes yeah. when you get that laugh and you get the validation from the crowd which you don't get during the workshop or during no. when you're just kind of in an empty theater. Not only do, is it a dopamine rush, it's a blood rush to your head, which unfortunately causes nosebleeds. <laughs> uh, for me, I was having chronic nosebleeds, as we know. Uh, but uh, f- it was kind of like the universe saying, Larry, this is your lesson, roll with the punches. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what improv's all about, is just sort of, you know, that's why it's so good for people with Parkinson's, is because... With Parkinson's, every day, every hour, it could be different. Your situation changes, and so you just need to be adaptable. And that's what we've learned through improv and how to deal with Parkinson's. It's like a microcosm of dealing with life challenges. The fact that everybody there had Parkinson's means you had very similar life challenges. Just the exercises and just going through that and repeating and doing, you know, and and pairing up with different people and building up that rapport and understanding of that person likes that kind of humor and that pe- person's quicker with this exercise than with that one and learning how to back each other up and then backing each other up so that once you got to the performance, you knew that somebody was going to have your back. Nobody was going to let you fall on your face. And even if you did, that's just part of the process and everybody would just kind of get a laugh out of it. <laughs> well, failure's where the funny is. I mean, that's the great thing about improv is like we celebrate failure. Yeah. And and how great is that? Because in Parkinson's so often there's failure, whether you drop a glass or you you can't make it out to dinner because you can't mm-hmm. walk or you're just too tired or you're exhausted and so it feels like failure, but like that's where the the funny is. That's where the payoff is in in improv. And so when you learn that and you realize that, then that's then, then you can celebrate failure and success. Because it's, that's how life works, too, is the, the greatest ideas and the greatest lessons come out of quote-unquote failures. Or challenges. And challenges. Right. They all, if you learn to turn them into opportunities, those are the most happy and successful people. And backstage, after the performance, you know, this was kind of the end of our beta workshop because they're starting a 12-week program at UBC uh, at the... Uh, beginning of next year, we all wanted to continue with our troupe at the Granville Island Theater Sports. Uh, And so we're going to do that after the first of the year. And so our troupe will continue to operate as a troupe and do regular workshops together. And Dan will continue to teach us when he can, but we, you know, he'll come in and out. And uh, it's kind of like my new support group. Mm -hmm. Which is great, and 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 I remember the first day we all walked in, and we all sort of had straight faces, and everybody was like nervous and scared. And then afterward, after the performance, everybody was smiling. And how oh, yeah. often, how often do you see a person with Parkinson's smiling? <laughs> this is true. Like, yeah, everyone was very animated and lively, and had gotten their proper dopamine rush, and just so pleased and and happy. And the crowd loved it. With the audience, we had so much fun. And it was 
there were family members and support people and people from the Parkinson's community and, and whatnot, but there were other people who were just improv people who were waiting for the next performance or participating in the open mic or whatever coming up. And everybody had a good time. Everybody laughed. It was just fun to it's watch. good times. Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I am the greatest. My dad always said, you know, Parkinson's could be could be a way for me to realize that I'm not the greatest, God is the greatest. You talked about Michael J. Fox and Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, sort of carrying the torch, and your dad really carried the torch at the Olympics. What did he think of that moment? Being an Olympian was one of the greatest thrills of his life. He was deeply, deeply honored. It was, it was hard when, when I saw him, because no one knew Muhammad Ali was going to light the flame that night. So seeing him in the, in the, in the stadium, it brought memories back of my dad. And I, I never thought down the road, you know, a few years later I'd be diagnosed. It was, it was, it was a really emotional night that night when I, when I saw him running around the track. I thought my dad was Superman. I, I didn't think my dad would ever die. I, I just thought he was, you know, silly to say that, but I thought he was Superman. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting sponsor is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. And thank you to our special guests, Dan Dumsha, Johnny Kerrigan, Norm Blaine, Creston Froats, Glenn Lurie, Kitty Fitton, Phil Badger-Smith, Paul Mayhew-Archer, Rebecca, my wife Gifford, and Henry Gifford. Special thanks also to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the United States, Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Go to michaeljfox.org pdiq. And thank you for listening. If you're just finding this podcast, Please go back to season one, episode one, to check out Larry's origin story. And as the holidays approach, you might be interested in listening to Extra Dosage from February 12th, 2019, called Traveling and Catching Up with Family. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, give this show a rating and please leave a comment as well about why you enjoy listening to the podcast. You can also engage us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. We'd also like to add your voice to the pod. We invite you to record your message at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.